kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And we, in our first intro to the fruits of the Spirit, we talked about how in that passage there, people were really concerned, like, am I saved because I, you know, follow the law, the Ten Commandments, all this Jewish, Jewish laws. And, and Paul does a really great job in the book of Romans, Galatians, and all these different ones saying, you're saved because of Jesus, what he did on the cross. Um, yes, the Jews have the law, and that's a blessing to them, right? Because if you are following the Ten Commandments, your life is going to be blessed, right? If I don't go around lying to everybody, people are going to be able to trust me, right? If I don't go around murdering people, no one's going to want to kill me, right? So we know that there's benefits to the law, and there's earthly consequence and earthly pain for, for not following the law. I mean, God didn't give us these laws because there's no value to them. We know why he told the children who are living in a desert to wash their hands before they eat, right? Because science now shows us that there's, there's bacteria and there's things that could cause you to be sick. And we know why, you know, he said like, hey, if you handle a dead body and you don't know why they died, wait 10 days outside of the camp before you go back to your family inside your tent. Why? Because they could have spread plagues. So this is why the Jewish people and their culture survive for literally 5,000 years when many of the ancient cultures didn't. So we know there's value in the law, but the question was, am I saved because I follow the law or am I saved simply because I believe in Jesus? So Paul did a great job explaining to all of them, you're saved because you believe in Jesus. And he was saying, look, when you have Jesus in your heart and you're questioning, am I doing things right? He says, you'll know if you're doing things right by the fruit that you're exhibiting in your life. So if you're wanting to go to a higher level, not just I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm living hell on earth, but I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and I'm living a good life, and I'm doing what I need to do, he says that you will have these fruits you'll see coming out of your life. Now, Jesus talked about how fruits in a person's life um, come out of them. And we see this in Matthew chapter 7, starts in verse 15 where Jesus was talking to them, and he says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruits, you will know them. So Paul knew that that was a teaching of Jesus. And he's saying, look, when you're around people, if you're wondering, hey, is this a person I should follow, right? They, they're, they're, they look like a sheep. They look like a fellow Christian. You know, Jesus always talked about us Christians as being sheep, you know, and he was the good shepherd. But if one is, is acting like ferocious and it's hurting you, it's okay, put up a boundary, right? It's okay to say, I, that's bad fruit. I don't want that in my life. But he says, You'll, a good tree bears good fruit. So Paul takes that then in Galatians and says, if you're concerned and you're wondering, look at the fruit in your life. Because if you have Jesus in you, what the gift he gave us was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fruit that he gives us is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the reality is, this is an ideal list. 
but not one of us is perfect. You know, the Bible says all of sin fallen short of the glory of God, right? Not one of us is perfect. And so even though we know this is a standard that we want to be at, we have a hard time sometimes achieving it, don't we? I mean, you know, sometimes we want to be kind. Sometimes we want to be gentle, but sometimes we're not. And that's where self-control kind of falls in. Self-control is an interesting fruit. It's not lovey like all the other ones, like gentleness and kindness and goodness. Self-control, like why do I need self-control if I'll just be smooshy, right? Well, self-control, though, is self-mastery. It's self-restraint, right? It is what helps us to be kind when we want to be harsh. And so self-control is really the most important fruit out of all of them. Because if you don't have self-control, you really can't be loving to somebody who's spitting in your face. You really can't. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, we just had a, a, a staff retreat, and I was talking to some people that have been here for a long time, and I don't know what conversation we got this started, but they were talking about all the different times they have saw me in meetings when people were kind of yelling at me and how I... How I was self-controlled while I was dealing with them. And it was funny because I only think of one, only one meeting really stands out that still is in the back of my head that, you know, I don't know if it still bothers me. I don't know, but it's the only one that pops up in my mind. Well, I watched three different women that have been here for many years think of two or three different, and they were all different. I'm thinking like, well, that's six right there. Like, and nobody even brought up the one I was thinking of. Now, how could I be gentle when somebody is mad at me is because, well, number one, I walked into those meetings saying, Lord Jesus, you got to have the words come out of my mouth. You got to keep me my mouth shut, what I don't need to be saying. So number one is I gave him full control. <laughs> I, I literally told him before I went to the meeting, right? And number two, I had to develop this fruit in my life. I'm going to keep talking about this. Have you all been to the grocery store and seen the green bananas? Yeah, right. You've all seen the green bananas. Now, are bananas supposed to be green? Not when you're getting ready to eat them, right? They're supposed to be yellow. But we all know that bananas don't grow in Michigan. We all wish they did because we'd have banana trees in our backyard. They grow way down in like South America. And they, they literally pick them off the trees while they're still green. They throw them in the back of trucks and they ripen on their way to the store. And sometimes they got a quick truck driver. He got here quick. He got here fast. And the bananas aren't done ripening. Now, if I'm shopping on a Monday and I have a bunch of kids coming over for a party on a Friday and I need bananas, guess what? I buy the green ones. Why? Because I don't want them to go bad until it's time for using them. And I know that they will ripen. I have never had a green banana stay green. I've never. I've had them turn brown, but that's a whole other story, right? I've never had a green banana turn orange. No, right? It, it's, it is a law of nature, that that green banana will eventually turn yellow before it overripens to brown. So here's the thing. When we accept Jesus in our heart, he gives us the ability and the seed and the fruit of all these things in our life. And you can't look at me and say, but Mary, I have no self-control. And I would say to you, well, you might have unripened self-control, but that fruit has been given to you. And, you know, just like you can put fruit in the windowsill and let the sun shine on it, you can let the sun, S-O, on Jesus, right, shine on you. And how do we let him shine on us? Well, we get to know him. I always say the best way to get to know somebody 
is to, to learn about them, right? You know, you can read your Bible. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. People always ask me, where do I, should I start reading my Bible? And I say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They'll come back to me and say, I read it. Now what? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Third time, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Fourth time, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe the fifth time I'll be like, okay, you can move on to Acts. But, you know, let me see the fruit in your life. Have you figured out what Jesus does? Have you, have you figured out? You know, if you need healing in your life, read the book of Matthew. Read it over and over and over again. Highlight every single time that Jesus healed and how it happened. And then you call me up and we'll have a talk. I'm going to point some things out to you. Read the book of Luke if you wonder about the Holy Spirit. Why did God give us his spirit? Why do I get to have Jesus in me? Read the book of Luke and then go on to the book of Acts and see how it fell upon the people and was used. You know, if you're not sure if God really loves you, read the book of John. Because, see, these are all different perspectives of Jesus' life. And because of how they saw things, we get to see a narrowed view of different parts of Jesus. And so those different books are so great. So the question is, what do we do when we don't have a good day? Because the reality is not every day is going to be a good day, is it? Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. So what do I do when I don't feel like happy? I don't feel like I want to walk in peace. I don't feel like there's any joy in there. Mary, you're telling me I need to have the fruits of the Spirit, and today all I feel is depressed, and today all I feel is anger, or today all I feel is bitterness, or today, right, I don't feel. And see, our feelings, I've told you this before, don't forget, feelings are an undisciplined puppy. You don't let a puppy come in your living room and keep peeing in the house. You go and you train it. You take it by the collar and say, no, and you take it outside. And then you walk around outside with treats, and when you catch them peeing outside, you give them a treat, right? You don't let your puppy get up on your dining room table and eat your steak that you just grilled. No, you, you pick up the puppy, you say no, and you put him in his crate while you're eating your dinner. Now, when your feelings start becoming an uncontrolled puppy, and they want to go pee in the middle of your spiritual living room, and say, today is a bad day, I want to pee here, you need to say no, I'm going to train my feelings with self-control. We keep talking about this. We've talked about all these different ones. Remember how kindness was doing thoughtful deeds for others. Or, oops, let's see here. We had joy was an inner, or inner happiness not dependent on outward circumstances. Or goodness was showing generosity to others. See, each of these things was a choice you had to make to do that. See, self-control has to be a choice we make. I love that it's not others' control. Because wouldn't we be a lot happier if we could just control the people around us? Well, if they just didn't say that, I wouldn't be mad right now. Well, you don't have others' control. That's not a spiritual fruit that God has given you. You know, if you got maybe, uh, well, I guess that wouldn't even work. I was going to say maybe a six-week-old baby you think you can control, but um, yeah, at 2 o'clock in the morning, let me know if you can control that. Right? <laughs> right? When they wake up and they're crying, you can't. There's no control over that. There is no one you can control but yourself. So he's given us the ability to have self-control. And you have this gift. I mean, you're all here sitting quietly. You're all controlling yourself right now. Maybe three of you really need to have to go to the bathroom, but you're going to wait. Why? Because you have self-control, right? I mean, literally the Greek word of this, when I was looking it up, it was talking about how it's properly controlling your bowel movements, self-control. Like that was literally like all the way down to like you're controlling your own bodily <laughs> self-control. 
And I thought that was really interesting, and that's a great way of saying it. Like, if you can control that, you can control your mouth. Don't tell me that you can control your butt better than your mouth, because, I mean, seriously. Let's, you know, I mean, I know that sounds silly, but let's, let's, let's have a little mouth control, right? But that means thinking about, okay, how am I going to say this? When am I going to say this? And asking God to help us. See, when these fruits come into your life, sometimes you have to ask him to help, right? So how do we do this, this self-control? This requires a lot of effort. We know this, right? And we're told to make every effort because we're living in the Spirit. So we have, we have help inside of us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he talks about this. He talks about God's Spirit and power. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need. For a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. See by having his great promises. Having him, his power in us. We can escape what the world wants us to do. I mean, sometimes we fall down. He helps us back up again. But he's given us that power to be able to do that. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Hmm. Sounding like a little bit. This is Peter. Paul wrote the verse about the fruits of the Spirit. But Peter is saying, okay, look, you got faith. And faithfulness was one of the fruits of the Spirit. He says, now add to that. Once you have faith in Jesus, that's what gets you saved. You have faith in Jesus. Now that you have faith in Jesus, add to that the goodness. What is goodness? Showing generosity to others. He says, add to your goodness knowledge. Oh, how do I get knowledge? Right here. If you're having a hard time reading, if you can't see the small print, if, if you can get the audio... We've got CD sets here I can give you. I can, I'll go buy you a CD player and get you the batteries so you can listen to it. Most of us have it on our phones. You can get the audio of the Bible too. So once you've got the knowledge, he says, into the knowledge, self-control. Ugh. Self-control, perseverance. And perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Oh, I love that. See, so many times Satan tries to, because of our past sins, heap shame on us or guilt. But don't be nearsighted. That's been cleansed. That's been forgiven. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort. I keep saying that. I, I underline all the places where he said, like in verse 5, make every effort. Now he's saying it again in verse 10. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never, never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love how he says, a rich welcome. I've said this before. If you accept Christ, you're going to heaven. But what you do here on earth will be rewarded in heaven. We've read in Revelations in different places, we're talking about the different crowns you get, the different robes you get. So a rich welcome, if you've gone that extra mile to live this life, not only you get a benefit here on earth, but you get a benefit when you go to heaven. But to do this effort, it requires that work. That's kind of hard. I mean, you know, a lot of us, we don't want to put the effort towards that. But when we do, 
the reward is welcome. I tell you what, when I make a little more effort and put some self-control, maybe a conversation with somebody, it always goes out better than if I didn't put that effort into it. Or self-control and making sure the dishes are clean. You know, if you want to see my lack of self-control, stop by my house unannounced the day before my husband's coming back from his annual motorcycle trip, and you will find that my kitchen has had no self-control. My husband's not home. You can ask the kids. My husband's not home. I'm like, eh. And then all of a sudden, the night before he's coming home, I'm up till 2 o'clock in the morning making sure that the kitchen's clean, the dishes are all put away. When he's around, every day by 5 o'clock, I'm telling the kids, let's get this cleaned up because daddy's going to be home soon. But when he's gone three or four days, all of a sudden it's like, eh. I have no self-control. I have, I have kitchen control, and I have late-night ice cream dates with my daughter as we sit in front of the TV, and we make lots of popcorn and make a mess, you know. And all of a sudden, he, he's coming home, and it's like, oh, let's hurry up, let's do this, right? And so for all of us, we have our own thing, right? You, you could sit here, I could say, close your eyes and think to the last time you lost self-control. You would probably think of something. And probably because you didn't have this, it was really hard to be kind, right? Or because you didn't have self-control, it was really hard to be good. Because you really can't have the fruit of anything else without the self-control. Now, you have to have the self-control because you're imperfect. If you had only good days and you were perfect, you wouldn't need self-control. So don't feel bad that you need self-control. Don't feel bad when you wake up and it's a bad day. Don't feel bad that you have to ask for help. That means you're using that self-control. You're recognizing, hey, I need someone to be praying for me today. I'm going to reach out and ask somebody for help, right? Or, hey, I know that I'm really depressed right now, and I need some, some joy. And I'm going to use my self-control, right, to do something to bring joy into my life. I've told you all, this is a simple thing, but it's always saved me. I know I need to have joy in my heart. Well, there's days where I'm depressed, and I don't feel like having joy. So I'll force myself to watch, like, America's Funniest Videos. Nowadays, you can just find, like, the little videos on, like, your apps and stuff. And I'll sit there and watch the silliest, I mean, now they call them fails or something. And and I watch them until I laugh out loud. Once I start laughing out loud, then I'm like, okay, now I can go deal with my kids, right? Okay, now I can go do this. But what is that? It's self-control saying I have to do something to get myself out of this funk. Because... What Satan wants me to do is to stay in that. And I'm choosing, right, to do something different to get myself. And for all of you, it's something different, right? For some of you, you maybe just need to make a phone call and call, call grandma or call a grandkid and say, how, tell, me what, how, tell me how your day is going. And you just need to make that contact with somebody else. So you must not be, you will not be perfect. And you will struggle with this just as Paul did. See, Paul really struggled in life. We think, oh, Paul, he was one of the great apostles. Paul struggled with this. Let's read about his struggle, because I'm going to struggle, and you're probably struggling. It's in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, right? That, what is he saying? That, you know, we don't have these paper laws anymore. Now we have the Holy Spirit in us, right? And these things are what I need to do. He says, but I am unspiritual. I'm sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. It's pretty complicated. What is he saying? I don't want to sin, but sometimes I sin. 
I want to I say the right thing, but sometimes I say the wrong thing. He says, for I, what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. What is he saying? I know that deep down I'm a human being who makes mistakes. Okay? He says, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. And this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So he's talking about human nature. What do we do when we're like that, right? What do we do when the temptation comes and we go down that trap and we feel like, dang it, why did I do that again, right? He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. Deep down, I know what is right, and that's what I want to do. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at sin at working in me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What rescues us when we're struggling with sin? Jesus. You literally, literally there's just got to be times you just, you, you, like you might be in the middle of something, you cry out, Jesus, be with me. Jesus, help me. You know, I, I haven't told this story in a while, but uh, I do have a tattoo. I have no problem with people with tattoos. No, lots of people with tattoos. But I was raised in a church. I was in there three times a week. And the day I was getting my tattoo, I, it hurt. I'm going to tell you where it all is now, so you're not all like kind of looking. So I had my eyeliner tattooed on. I know that's super vain. Uh, yeah, not only am I got a tattoo, but I'm a vain person. So I had my eyeliner tattooed on. And I'm laying there, and, they're ta- and you think it hurts when they tattooed your arm? Have them do your eyelids, let me tell you. So I'm laying there, and they're tattooing my eyelids, and it hurts really, really bad. You know, and it's like that ink's getting all over, and so I can feel it inside my eye. And I'm literally laying there thinking like, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let me go blind from this, right? And this is how crafty Satan is. Satan, all of a sudden, I hear this thought in my head of an Old Testament verse where it says, do not get tattooed, right? And I thought, I had this thought of, God can't bless me. God can't watch over me right now because I'm sinning because I'm getting a tattoo. And all of a sudden, I stopped praying. And I'm just laying there in pain, and I just stopped praying because I thought of that verse, right? And all of a sudden, I hear God's gentle, sweet voice. Thank goodness the Holy Spirit's in us. And he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, that's a Bible verse too. And what I thought was so interesting, and then, you know, I just started thinking about all the different Bible verses, right? Like, he doesn't bless us because we don't sin. He doesn't heal us because we didn't sin to get us into that spot. He blesses us and he loves us because we are his children. And then I thought about the fact that, oh yeah, remember when the Gentile Christians accepted Christ and then the Jewish Christians would come visit and say, you all need to, you know, cut your men and be circumcised and you need to follow this law and this law. And they were like, what? We just 
wanted to follow Jesus. So they wrote a letter to the apostles and said, what of the laws do we need to follow? And they said, you're, you're not born Jewish. You don't follow the law. The law is beneficial. Like, we'll tell you about the law. We'll tell you why our culture has survived all these years and why you should wash your hands and why you should do all these things. But you don't have to follow the law to be saved. And so I was laying there, and as soon as that voice said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, I thought, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let me go blind. Thank goodness I didn't go blind, and I was fine. But it reminds me of Paul's conversation. He's saying, I literally am having moments where I am doing what I know I shouldn't do. And I'm saying, what delivers me in that moment? He's saying, the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, oh, following the law is what's going to save you. No, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, what will deliver me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, I love that. He just took a minute to like present his case. He probably would have been a great lawyer, this Paul, you know, because you know how some lawyers are. They like do all this, ah, and then they say, and because of that, he's innocent. You know, like they give you all this evidence and then they make their statement that they really should have started with. You're like, why are you telling me all this, Paul? Here's why he's telling us this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I love that. Have you ever felt condemned? Has Satan ever heaped shame on you? That's what I was feeling when I was getting that tattoo, trying to pray to God. Satan was trying to make me feel condemned. Maybe I was just doing it to myself, right? But see, he's saying there is no condemnation. He just got done saying there were times when I sinned when I knew I better. But yet he's saying, therefore, because of Christ, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so this spirit that is on us sets us free. So yes, we use self-control because we know like Paul, there's going to be times when we're tempted and we're going to, we don't even want to do it. And that's where we need to ask Jesus to help us. We need that spirit in him to help us. We have to make every effort. Will we always succeed? No. But does God condemn us? No. That's why we have the John 3, 17 on the on the wall, right? Rather than the, the John three sixteen, We all know John three sixteen, and it's good. Don't get me wrong. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But it doesn't stop there. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So even though we're going to struggle with this, how do we become self-controlled when we're having a hard time. See, Titus 2.11 goes on. How do, we, how do we get through this? It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How does the salvation, how does knowing Jesus do that? It says it teaches us. I don't know about you, but the first time I was taught how to drive a car, I was not a stellar driver. You would not have wanted to hop in the car with me and go to Chicago after one lesson. You, just, you wouldn't. But after, what, 20-ish, some odd years of driving? You won't go into how old I am, right? But after many, many years and many, many lessons, if I were to say, hey, I'm going to Chicago, who wants to go along? Most of you that know me well know I haven't been in an accident and decades, right? So you'd want to hop in the car and go with me to Chicago. 
But when I was 15 and a half doing driver's training, you would not have let your kids ride with me to Chicago. Why? Just because we're taught the first time to use self-control does not mean we're going to master it. Just the first time we're taught a lesson on living with joy doesn't mean you're going to master it. But that doesn't mean you give up. I don't take a bite of a green banana and say, these taste horrible and throw away the whole bunch. I stick them in my window and I wait for them to ripen up. So God is still working on you. He is still teaching you. It says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Now, Titus was a young man who was the preacher for the church. So he's, you know, he's writing this. Paul was writing this to Titus. And he's telling Titus, number one, you have to learn this. And then now you have to teach it to those around you because it's not going to come natural. I don't know any any one-year-old that is self-controlled. It doesn't come natural. You don't come out of the womb self-controlled, right? I mean, literally, bunnies come out, out, and as soon as they, you know, can hop and eat grass, you don't have to teach them how to eat grass, right? You don't have to teach a cow to go to his mother and milk. They just, they, they know it. They can smell it. They're drawn to it. But humans, on the other hand, we're not, it's not natural for us to be self-controlled. We have to be taught. And it's okay, If your fruit's a little unripe, sit in the sun. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all your authority and do not let anyone despise you. That was because he was young. He told that to Timothy too. Don't let anybody despise you for your youth. All right. Well, so here is some tips. Number one, acknowledge where you're lacking. Number two, ask for help, right? from others and from God. If there's an area of your life that you know you need help in, don't be afraid to ask for help. But number one, you won't ask for help if you don't acknowledge that you got a problem, right? Like if I have a flat tire and I'm driving down the road, I won't like pull over and call for roadside if I don't recognize that I have a flat tire. So, you know, be okay with examining your life. Do you, are there any patterns that you're aware of? Like, man, every time I go to work on Friday. I'm nasty to my boss. Okay, well, acknowledge that. What, you know, maybe you ask somebody for help. You talk to somebody about it. Maybe you realize that Fridays you're really anxious because that's when, you know, you have to turn in your, your report for the week and your boss always gets upset. Okay, talk to somebody about that. All right, so I, I need to work on my self-control and my kindness on Fridays with my boss because I'm anxious because of this, right? But if you don't acknowledge it, And the only way you're going to acknowledge it is if you start to watch and see where are these patterns at in my life. So number one, acknowledge if there's an area in your life you need help with. Number two, ask for help, right? Ask God to help you or others. And number three, evaluate. What did work? What else can I do, right? What, you know, like, okay, maybe I acknowledged it, I asked for help, but I tried that, it didn't work. Don't give up. Try again, right? Try something different. What can you do differently? So... Uh, before you leave, the ushers are going to have those cards. Make sure, if you haven't had the whole set, 
Ask for the whole set, but if you got the whole set last week and you just want the self-control one, make sure you get that one um, in the back before you leave. And today is the first Sunday of the month, so what we usually do is um, communion. Now, you know, some of you might have been raised in different churches, and a lot of people always ask and wonder, like, you know, is communion just for the church members? Is communion, who's communion for? Well, we believe that if you believe in Jesus Christ and that he came and died on the cross for your sins, that communion is open to everyone, okay? So this is a reminder of what he did when he died on the cross. And I'm going to pray over this communion right now. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I consecrate this bread and juice for Holy Communion. Father, may your Holy Spirit fill it in the name of Jesus. We pray, remember, and trust you. Amen. Ushers, go ahead and pass those out. So these communion, because of COVID times, they're all prepackaged. And what you'll notice is when you get that communion cup, you can peel off the top real carefully. The juice will be underneath. And then if you kind of separate the top plastic layers, you can get out your wafer. So the Jewish people annually would have a special meal and they would remember what happened when they left Egypt. Thank you. And Jesus had them sacrifice, well, Jesus, God told them to sacrifice a lamb and to take that lamb's blood and to pour it over or kind of put it on their uh, doorposts of their house. And they ate all the flesh of the lamb. And then when the next day, that night happened, it was the last plague. And the death angel had passed over the Jewish homes. And they were able to leave the next day and leave Egypt. And they were freed then from being physical slaves in Egypt. So Jesus came and he said, look, you're slaves to sin. Because you sin, you're separated from God and, and you, you don't feel like you can be in his presence. That would always make people feel condemned. He said, I'm not going to come to condemn you. I'm going to come to save you. I'm going to go to the cross and my body is going to be beaten and my blood is going to be shed. And this is going to happen. And because of that, you're going to have some freedom. We see a prophecy in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. In verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I love that. It's talking about when he went to the cross. So not only are we forgiven for our one-time sins, our transgressions, but we're forgiven for our iniquities, those ones we struggle with all the time. And we're also brought peace because of what he did and by his wounds we are healed so we see here in the book of matthew he had this last supper it happened to be passover the week that he went to the cross and he grabbed the says in verse 26 of chapter 26 while they were eating jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body let's pray over this bread Father God, as we take this bread, may we remember that your body was broken for us. And your, the punishment of, that brought us peace was put upon you. And by your wounds we are healed. So we receive your peace and we receive your healing right now. Take the bread if you haven't already.
And then it says, then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for your, the blood of Jesus that was shed for our, not only forgiveness of our iniquities, but for our transgressions as well. We receive forgiveness, and we receive the salvation that you give us. Take the cup. We thank you for the blood that was shed, for the body that was broken. And as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross for us, may our hearts be renewed. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit. May our bodies be healed. May our our hearts and souls have peace. May our spirits know that we are clean and forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope all of you have a wonderful week. The Blessing Shop is open, and don't forget to grab your cards in the back on your way out. And again, um, sign up if you want to help out with ushering or the children's ministry this fall, or if you'd like to sign up for water baptism as well. That sign-up sheet is in the back, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you. God bless.